and welcome to this Expert Insights CD. I'm Donna Hansen from Prime Solutions Training and Consulting. Our Expert Insights CD series is designed to give HR and learning and development professionals access to the latest trends, ideas, philosophies and approaches that impact on how organisations manage, retain, engage and recruit staff. We know that HR and L&D roles are all-encompassing and it's often hard to find the time to step outside your world and explore what's happening in other organisations. Prime's Expert Insights CDs are designed to provide you with concise information on topics relevant to you on a regular basis in a format that maximises your time and keeps you up to date with current trends in the industry. In this Expert Insights CD, we speak with Sandy Givens, Leadership and Team Building Specialist on moving from me to we, the five critical steps to creating a team your colleagues and competitors will envy. But before we start, here's a little bit about Sandy. Born in the US, Sandy has over 25 years of experience in training and management. She's the author of a widely acclaimed book, Women on the Move, How You Can Create Your Place in the World, and is a certified speaking professional, the only internationally recognized designation for professional speakers. Sandy is also MBTI and DISC accredited and has a Bachelor of Arts degree in Sociology and Psychology from Monash Uni. Welcome, Sandy. How are you today? Oh, I'm really good. You know, I sit here and listen to that introduction, Donna, and go, gee, I have done a few things in my life, haven't I? <laughs> you certainly have, and I'm look forward, looking forward to exploring a bit more today. Um, firstly, Sandy, why don't you tell us how you came to be a specialist in leadership and team building? Oh, great question. Um, you didn't tell me you were going to ask that. Uh, I think there were three steps for me, three sort of, sort of turning points. Uh, the first one was that our family migrated from the United States when I was still of high school age. Uh, my father got a job here in Australia, so we all came over. And that first thing that I had this big thing that happened in my life was the degree of anti-American sentiment that I experienced at school and the bullying and harassment and I it, because it was post Vietnam and you know I think there was a bit of a hangover from that but I remember being really fired up about why can't people just accept me as a human being why do I have to this have this label as you're a yank um and so that kind of planted a seed and a bit of a fire in my belly about acceptance of difference. Then the second thing that happened was um, as an employee in the corporate world, I vividly remember being treated like a, a sheep. Um, you know, put your head down, your bottom up and just do what I tell you to do. And in fact, I had one manager who asked me about my progress on a project one day and I said, well, I'm trying to decide. I, I've been thinking about should we do ABC or XYZ and the ramifications of each of those to which he said to me, Sandy, I don't pay you to think, I pay you to do. Mm. And I thought, oh my goodness. I mean, that's just terrible. <laughs> and and the third thing that's happened, of course, is since setting up my own training, coaching and consulting business uh, nearly 25 years ago now, um, I have noticed that that mentality 
exists in our corporate world and in our business world, that there are so many leaders who treat their staff like, just do the job I've told you to do, don't give me any of your ideas. And that is coupled with this sense of us and them and judgment about people who are different, people who are a different personality, a different generation, a different culture, uh, you name it. Wherever difference comes from, that can create conflict. But it also can create a complement to the team and the synergy of the team. And I am absolutely committed to helping organizations figure out how they can move that difference into complementing the team efforts. Yeah, look, I I hear exactly where you're coming from there, Sandy. You know, you're quite right. I remember in my early stages uh, starting work that it was very much the mentality of, you know, you did what you were told and and it was almost uh, like the the carrot and the stick sort of scenario. Mm. You know, if you got something wrong, you, you know, you were, you know, um, told off for your mistakes and, you know, potentially ridiculed or, or whatever mm. rather than, uh, you know, let, what can we learn from this? There was less analysis and more mm. uh, paralysis when, when you were yeah. <laughs> beaten with the stick. Um, so, uh, can I, yeah. Just on that point though, Donna, a lot of your clients and mine, I know, are now having a lot of, you know, Gen Y in the workplace. So that that ethos is changing, but oh, yeah. the push is coming from the bottom, if you like. And so what I find, again, is some of my clients are really struggling in their leadership because they're now leading these people who are saying, hey, no, you know. That's I won't be not, led that way. That's right, and I'm going to go off and find another job somewhere. Yeah. So I do a lot of work with leaders and helping them learn how to deal with that dynamic and really, you know, look at, re-examine what for them is leadership, the difference between leadership and just managing so redefining the um, you know the 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 two thousand and ten plus version of what uh, leadership actually means and and not trying to apply the label of the seventies or eighties yeah to uh, to our new millennium the, all, mm. all good and, and you know already I'm feeling like we could probably talk for hours um, <laughs> so let's just get started so today we're going to be talking about moving from me to we and the five critical steps to creating a team your colleagues and competitors will envy. Be- before we go into detail on the, the five, let's just can you give us an overview of each of them? Well, the interesting thing about the five, Donna, is as I go through them or, or give you a brief synopsis, um, I really want listeners to understand that they're not mutually exclusive and it's not necessarily stuff that needs to be done in this order. Some people will find, well, we need to focus on those two or three yep. and, and we've got those, you know, one or two handled or whatever. Um, one of them is creating cultures of honest and authentic communication. Um most people I talk to, I say, you know, it's not what's being said around work that's draining productivity and profitability. It's what's not being said. Okay. It's what's being swept under the carpet. It's, it's it's those quiet, whispered conversations at the water cooler. And as I say that, people just nod their heads knowing, yeah, I know what you mean. It's all the gossip and the grapevine and, and I'm on a mission to change that. Right. So. So one step in the process needs to look at. We need to look at that. Uh, second thing, um, a lot of times people have baggage, and I'm not talking about let's put them all in the room and let them beat mattresses or examine their navels or go into their childhoods. Um, but if people have been through 
um, a lot of my clients have been through harassment and bullying claims mm -hmm. and, and there is going to be baggage stuff left around from that. So they need to have the opportunity to go through processes that respectfully, supportively allow them to truly let go of that stuff and be able to move on. Um, because otherwise we're back to sweeping it under the car carpet, which just creates a lumpier, bumpier carpet. <laughs> that, may that means we're going to trip more readily. Uh, third thing, uh, I believe people really do follow the leader. And so leaders need to really step into the, the power they have in modeling the way for others, in, be able, in being able to walk the talk. You know, not. I remember my father sometimes saying to me, do as I say, don't do as I do. <laughs> and, and bless him in heaven. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure he realizes that just doesn't work. You know, we all model what we see. So leaders yeah. need to realize that. Thirdly, leaders also, I think, need to learn that they actually become more powerful when they give power away. And, and and really enable, truly enable people to get on with the job. So it's about starting to let go of those reins a little bit and truly transfer, not transfer, not just responsibility, but authority to do jobs that need to be done. And then the fifth component is really fueling the heart of the business and the staff themselves. Um, you know, we live in this time poor world and most people's to-do lists are longer than we can imagine. And we tick one thing off the list and we quickly get on to the next thing. And when do we actually sit down and even simply say, let's have morning tea together with some muffins and really talk about how proud we are of the goals we've kicked this last quarter. So that's a good overview, Sandy. Let's explore the first one, which was creating cultures of honest and authentic communication. I'm interested in exploring a bit more about that. Mm. Well, I think, um, look, I often, I take people through, everybody's heard about being aggressive and submissive, and that's sort of like a real black and white perspective. Mm -hmm. Either I have to yell a lot and be really strong and push my opinion on other people, and that's it's that win-lose sort of, you know, perspective of I want to make sure I win, so I have to make sure you lose. <laughs> and then there's the submissive side, which is, okay, well, whatever you say. And, you know, and I find that the workplace, if we look at just those two op corners, the workplace probably is full of about 20 to 30% of aggressive sort of uh, uh, approaches mm -hmm. from people and the rest are submissive. So, um, and, and that doesn't work. I mean, uh, for instance, what's happening for those people coming from the aggressive perspective is um, they're losing respect. And a lot of people are voting with their feet and are going to other jobs um, because they don't like to be treated that way. And in effect, I guess it's a it's an early form of workplace bullying to a degree. People feel disempowered to do their jobs. They feel like they've become yes people. Yeah. And, and in fact, the, these people coming from that aggressive or what I call self, self-centered stance mm -hmm. really love having a whole bunch of t people around them who are in that submissive or other-centered stance because the other-centered stance becomes a habit for a lot of people. Um, and it's like I often draw the analogy, you know, somebody pushes in front of you in the supermarket. And if you come from uh, having spent a lot of time in this submissive or other-centered space, you, 
you almost without knowledge or without awareness pull your shopping trolley back let them push in in front of you and the voice in your head is saying that's right go in front of me you're more important than I am and oh woe is me that's my lot in life Mm -hmm. and a lot of a lot of that doesn't happen from a conscious point of view but it's just this subconscious program that kicks in and then what can happen sometimes for some people is suddenly they do suddenly they do become aware that oh my gosh that's what I've done oh gosh I hate doing that why did I let them push in and suddenly they're really mad at themselves for allowing this to happen but they're not actually mad at the person who caused it and and so then we end up with this person from the other center stands really beating up on themselves and going into this downward spiral of I'm not worthy I'm not good enough I don't have enough confidence it's the not enough itis you know? And I, I guess too, in in that respect as well, that can also, if that anger and frustration at themselves is internalised, it can get to a point where it actually comes out, and they take it out on the people around them. Yeah, well, t- one of two things will usually happen, Donna. The first is what you've suggested, and there's finally, you know, there's the last straw that broke the camel's back, mm-hmm. and they just explode. And when they do, everybody <laughs> runs for cover. But this person who's exploded feels so guilty. Yes, And so they then pull back into their shell and it's like trying to keep, internally in them, it's like trying to keep um, a lid on a pot of boiling water on your stove that has no steam escape valve. Mm. So it's keep the lid on, keep the lid on. You know, I say to people, I reckon road rage in, when people are driving home from work is a symptom of too much of this other-centered behavior in the workplace. They go you to know, the opposite the, extreme. Yeah, yeah. They, they're, they're behind the wheel of the car with white knuckles. No, you're not getting my lane. I've said yes all day to all these other demands of my time. And it's it's just, it, it creates such a tension in a person. So that's the second thing that can happen is it's really from a psychological health point of view, a mental health point of view, it's a very dangerous place for p- individuals to stay. So are there sort of one or two simple or easy strategies to start exploring whether or not you actually have a culture of honest and authentic communication and and if you haven't, you know, is is there any sort of one or two things that you could offer that might be worth considering? Absolutely. Just before I do, I want to share, um, I talked about the sort of being this black and white aggressive submissive. There are two other options to this communication thing. And and the third one is typically where people from the other centred perspective will often go because it's really frustrating holding it all in. So they go to what people typically call passive aggressive, Mm -hmm. but I call it two-faced. And this is the water cooler conversation. This is the grapevine. So I've got a problem with you, Donna, but for a whole host of reasons. I don't feel confident. I feel you won't listen. I'm scared of conflict. I don't want to hurt your opinion or your feelings. You know, there could be a number of reasons. I don't want to talk to you about it, but boy, I'll talk to anybody else who will listen. Yeah, and that can be quite toxic in an organisation, can't it? Very, very toxic. So that's why I talk about the culture mm-hmm. of honest and authentic communication, which, of course, according to my model, is the fourth of the choices that we have. So how do you find out where you are in that dynamic? Well, mm. when I run workshops, I, I draw this model up for people and they know where they are. I mean, if people have this explained to them, um, leaders, organizations, individuals within the company, they know where they're operating from. And most organizations are operating from either that other-centered or that two-faced quadrant. 
um, I've done surveys for companies, anonymous surveys, which clearly, you know, and, and these are pretty healthy organisations where things are going really pretty well, but but they want to step it up. They want to really get to be an ex- a team that excels, not just performs well. Mm-hmm. And so we do this survey and lo and behold, with, it, with the right questioning, you find out that, yeah, there are these contexts or these situations where people do not feel they can re- truly voice their opinion. And that can be really costly to business, can't it? Because it can really? be the wrong wrong decisions are made uh, when you know people aren't prepared to bring forward information that could actually add value to the decision making process. Mm. And it's a hit. It's a and, hidden and, cost. Yeah, and it's not just wrong decisions. It's all these cost saving ideas. It's all these, mm. you know, continuous improvement ideas. It's how we can do things like you say, smarter, not harder. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's so all those ideas get lost when we don't have this, um, this culture, this this team way of doing things where I can put an opinion on the table and it can be discussed. And yes, it might in the end get rejected, but at least we've discussed it. Yes. So one of the keys to me uh, that I share with people is that the team as a whole and the individuals themselves need to be really clear on what is and is not negotiable for them. Mm-hmm. So what is and is not okay within the team culture? You know, is it okay that we talk behind people's backs? My recommendation is no, of course it's not. And if somebody comes up to you and says, oh, you know what, Donna's a real thing. That person, if we've got a good culture, will gently and respectfully say, Sandy, I, I, I can't listen to this. If you've got a problem with Donna, you need to speak with Donna. Yep. You know, I need that pushback. Now, people can be given the skills to be able to do that. And I know a lot of people say to me, oh, that's really scary, you know, because we used to you always listen to each other, whinge and carry on. And I say, yeah, well, you can still show you care. You can say, this is clearly upsetting to you, Sandy. And I, I, I'll help you construct, if you like, the, the key things you'd like to say to Donna in a conversation. But I'm not going to sit here and listen to you just, you know, uh, slang her off, you know. Just, you and know. that's that's great because often you find when you start to buy into that, uh, there's a couple of things that happen. You know, you become the conduit so that person keeps coming back to you and keeps bitching and moaning or alternatively you buy into that scenario and you start to take on that person's frustration mm. and go, well, gee, yeah, I hadn't really thought about yeah. Being like that, and then you know, unconsciously you can start to buy into that person's perspective, whether it's whether it has any um, merit or not. Yeah, and, and, and that's what you said about it being toxic. It starts to spread like toxic fumes. And I know you know about this thing called the reticular activating system, Donna, mm-hmm. or the RAS. It's this part of our brain that sits in the reptilian area, the oldest part of the brain, and it drives our awareness of things. So it causes us to focus on certain things and disregard other things. So if I have planted the seed in somebody's mind that Donna's this, that, and the other – at a really deep subconscious level, what I have perhaps done and probably done is program their RAS to start noticing all the negative things about Donna, which they never noticed before and really aren't that big a deal to them, but suddenly that becomes the focus of their awareness. And they become and magnified. Yeah, and that's the toxicity of it. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Okay, terrific. Now, I know... We're, uh, we've got so much more to get through, so let's uh, get on to number two. 
Okay, well, number two, and I, I was thinking that you'd probably ask me what are some things that would help people around number two, and I, I, it's absolutely not that I don't want to share what I do with people uh, to help them unload their baggage. Um, it's just it's uh, the activities and processes and exercise I take teams through really have to be experienced for them to make any sense. I think the thing I really want your listeners to understand, though, is it, it is not enough just to tell people to let go of the past and move on. Mm. That's that's a cognitive thought, but it's not an ex, it's not experienced in the body, mm. and our mind and our body, you know, our brains and our body are connected. We people need to go through some kind of experience that connects with their thinking that allows them to let go. Yes, and. And, um, you know, I'm, like I say, I'm not trying to keep secrets here or anything. But... but I guess it's a bit like losing weight, you know. Everybody's heard of, well, themselves or a friend saying, oh, I want to lose some weight, I want to lose some weight. But until they actually connect with the reasons why they want to lose the weight, uh, then they won't actually start losing weight. They have mm. to really be committed to doing it, you know. Is it, um, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's about commitment, mm. isn't it? It, it is. And it, it, like, so the team leader or, you know, the boss can say, okay, you know, we're all going to have this team building and we're going to let go of the past. Well, okay, they may be really committed and they may be saying to the team, I want you to be really committed. But again, that's only being dealt with in the team, for so many team members, from the neck up. Yes. And and so they'll go into that other centered or two-faced box and go, yeah, okay, well, to the boss, I'll say what he or she wants to hear. Yes, okay, yeah, I'm on board. Yep, I'll tow the company line. But that's not what's really happening in reality. Um, the other thing I would say is after they've gone through these processes, um, it, it's really important that t- to take them fairly quickly to the next step, which is, okay, let's look at the future. What do you want from the future? And I guarantee you, 100% of the time I do this with teams, um, I get them to all uh, start to write down and write on flip charts and everything. Just give me some words or some phrases that you would like to define your work environment in the future. 100% of them are 100% aligned. They all want the same thing. They all say, I want to be respected. I want to be kept informed. Um, I want my ideas heard. I want to have fun at work. I want to, you know what I mean? And, yes. and so if they've been able to let go of the stuff and then quickly see, oh, my gosh, we all really want the same things because they haven't been able to see that for a while. They've been so blinkered by the baggage (laughs) that when they suddenly go, gosh, we want the same things, then we can quickly move into, okay, how are we going to create that? How, what, what specifically are we going to do now to create that sense of fun, to make sure that people's ideas are heard, um, to, to make sure that people in this team feel respected? And so then you start to create a new blueprint for people. And it's just beautiful. It's beautiful to, to, to watch people go through that. I guess, too, um, the key for our listeners with that in recognising is, um, first of all, just is there baggage to be unloaded? 
and if you can identify that there's baggage to be unloaded then it's a bit like um, uh, you know you've got a whole lot of shredding to be done you don't sit mm. there and have somebody feed the paper through the shredder you get those big industrial bins in and you have them <laughs> you have them take away all your stuff and commercially uh, shred it it's not necessarily something that um, you know you can give somebody a workbook and say here you go tick all these boxes and miraculously the baggage will disappear and we'll all be back on track again um, yeah. you know that's it, a, yeah that's a great analogy can I borrow that <laughs> You send me the bill. I'll uh, I'll pay for that idea. That's a great great metaphor. Yeah, yeah. Look, and and I just thought, you know, that that's that's a bit what it is like, you know, and and it is hard to unload the baggage, and and often I'm guessing, and you probably see this, you know, people go, well, maybe I just don't want to unload the baggage because carrying that baggage makes me feel good about where I am and and what mm. I do, and and it it justifies my position, and I guess in some of those cases, it's a it's a matter of looking at those individuals and and um and the team and and working out if um you know the toxic element such as that is, yeah. is best removed from the uh, the environment yeah well you've hit on a really important point there and that is that um even more than it makes me feel good or it justifies my position it's actually who i am mm. that some people have spent so long in this space and I can't, I'm saying all this without judgment. I'm saying this with compassion and understanding that they've spent so long in this space that it's wrapped up in their self-identity. And Robert Diltz did a lot of work around change, human behavioral change, and that the, the deepest, longest lasting, most impactful level of change is when we help people shift identity. Mm. And they start to see themselves as something different. And that, that goes to weight gain, stopping smoking, you name it, you know. Yep. And that's um, where the potential is unlocked. Yeah. And that's why some um, 70 to 80% of our team development programs are combined with coaching programs for individuals in the team. Mm. Um, so that we can facilitate that identity change for some people who can otherwise really be quite stuck and it's not because they're nasty people or they're trying to be, you know, the the, the person who's bringing the team down. It's just they really are scared about changing because this is who, who they've been and how they've been for so many decades. Sandy, look, we've covered some fantastic information so far, and, and again, I'm convinced that we could talk for hours on this subject. I just uh, just love the thought of the mind and and how people think about things because it, it impacts on so many areas of of life within business, which is so much part of our lives. I I know for many of our clients, you know, the psyche behind you know how people do things and the skill sets they have are, are all determined by you know their their perception of themselves etc and that brings us on to your third point which was um people really do follow the leader and and you know from our perspective of technology productivity you know it, it can be hard for people at the bottom of the um of the delivery area you know the people at the mm. coal face to go well why should i do this when the people above me aren't and and it really is a process of um you know seeing some um uh, behavior at a at a higher level, and then going, okay, well, we we want you to replicate this behavior. So moving away from what your father said of uh, <laughs> do what I say and not what I do. So you said number three was people really do follow their leader or follow the leader. What does this mean, and how how could our listeners benefit from this? 
Yeah, well, interesting. Just then you said people really do follow their leader and then you, you corrected yourself saying follow the leader because here's a really important thing and that is leadership has nothing to do with a title or where you sit on an organization chart. I really believe everyone's a leader because leadership is all about influencing others' peop- uh, others' behaviors, other mm. you know other people's perspectives, and everybody in an organization and in the world you know yes. has the has the capacity to do that. So who the, for the listeners, I would encourage you to be thinking about who are the listeners in uh, sorry who are the leaders in our organization. They may not be always the ones with the title or sitting up the top of the organization chart um, because you'll notice that those people who are considered the leaders are the people that people other people follow and they're following them because they are a model for people. They are setting an example for people. Now, it may not be the example you want people to follow. Yep which is another whole conversation on its own. Um, but they're setting an example by behaving in ways that are consistent with with their own personal values and also shared values. This is when leadership is working really well. Um, and it requires people to know themselves really quite clearly and quite deeply, know what they stand for, to know what, what, what their legacy is that they're leaving. I often say to people, how do you want to be remembered? And I'm not talking about when you die. I'm talking about when you leave this room. Yes. If I've just had a 15-minute conversation with you for the first time in my life, what would be the top three or four or five words you'd want to come to my mind when somebody mentions your name to me again? Okay, so you mean things like, words like trust, compassion, um, guidance, support. Enthusiastic, professional. Yep. Yep, yep. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. So think about what you want to be known for and do you behave in ways that are consistent with that? Yeah, and are the the those who are the leaders within the business and as you said, not necessarily by title but by um, following, uh, mm. are they demonstrating the behaviours that your organisation wants people to follow? And exactly. if they're, if they're not, then, you know, reviewing those and, and then determining... You know what you can do to um, to make the change. Yeah, and here's an interesting thing, Donna. I mean, we know of so many organisations that have the mission and vision statements, and here's our top five values or ten values or whatever they are. And I look at those values and I say to people, "How do you know somebody is actually living those values here in the organisation?" They go, "Oh, well, you can just tell." And I, I said, "Pretend I'm from Mars. Tell me how you tell. <laughs> like, like, how do you know somebody is showing respect?" And so many people cannot tell me that. And so I think it's a really important step to drill it down to what are the behaviors, the observable things we can see or hear people doing that clearly demonstrates that value of respect, that clearly demonstrates that value of professionalism, you know? Um, because values in in and of themselves are really just words. And those words can be interpreted in dozens of different ways by people within the organization and so if a leader simply says well those are our values you've got to behave accordingly people are going to interpret that different ways so we need to drill down to what are the things we want to hear people saying and see people doing that means that's those are the values we're living here at work wow uh, you know it again just exploring all the possibilities and the thought processes and just 
um, how little time a lot of organisations actually place on some of these things that we're discussing today uh, is mind-blowing. And I'm sure um, certainly as you're raising some of them, I'm thinking, yeah, well, I wouldn't necessarily know that in a lot of the organisations that I work with. I wonder if the people that are listening know about their organisations and could answer these questions, you know, whether, are they doing these things within their own organisations? And if they are, kudos to them. And, and if they're not, that's not a bad thing. What is it they say? Awareness is the first step. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I was just thinking as you were starting to say that, Donna, that I'd, I'd really hate for anyone listening to this to start to beat themselves up and say, oh, my gosh, we're not doing that. We're not doing this. We're not. <laughs> um, yeah, awareness is the first step. And then prioritising. You know, mm -hmm. as you've picked up ideas listening to this recording, um, you know, you might have 10 things written down on a piece of paper now saying, oh, we could look at this and look at this. and Okay, well, if you could only do one of them, what's the number one thing that has the potential to make the biggest difference in your organization's productivity, profitability, and even on just team morale, that it lovely intangible thing, but that it conclusively and repeatedly has been shown to contribute to productivity and profitability. You know, just find it, figure out what the number one thing for you to start with is and start from there. Okay, so that brings us on to number four, which was giving power away makes you more powerful. That, that almost seems like, um, you know, an opposite. Mm, it does, it does. Um, but one of the things, see, people... A lot of people in the business world don't feel trusted mm. and yet the leader is saying, trust me, trust me and and some of the employees are going, well, uh, it's hard to trust you when you don't seem to trust me. So when a leader starts to give away power, they get more trust from their, their team and the team feels more respected and, and, and then it connects to loyalty and commitment and going the extra mile. So when I talk about it making you more powerful, I simply mean, well, I probably should say it, it, it makes you more successful as a leader. Because the success, the success of a leader is only the, the success of the team reflected. Mm. Um, and, you know, a lot of people are worried about, oh, I can't delegate because they won't do it as good as me, or, you know, it's just easier for me to do it. I haven't got time to explain to them how to do it. Well, Fundamentally, if you if you say to someone, look, can you do everything on your own? Logically and intellectually, they know they can't. So they know that um, someone, you know, some people have to help. Um, look, some of this work too, I will mention if people want to follow this up with some more research, um, is based on the work of two incredible gentlemen, uh, Kuzas and Posner. I try Barry. Uh, I'm just trying to remember whose name was who. Um, it was um, Barry Posner and Jim Coozes, I think. But they came up with something called the Leadership Practice, uh, sorry, the Leadership Challenge. And they did all this research, not of just top, uh, top 500 companies and stuff, but they found ordinary people leading pe other ordinary people, but achieving extraordinary results and they reviewed in one instance they reviewed over two and a half thousand what they call personal best cases so where this the person leading achieved their personal best with the team and they developed a simple test to establish whether somebody was on the road to becoming a really really becoming a leader of significance and the test was simply this the frequency 
with which they use the word we. Mm. Instead of the word I or me or them or they, did this person use the word we a lot? And that's that's just fascinating to me. So that's that's a tip for the listeners. Just start to tune into the language around the workplace. What kind of pronouns are people using? You know, are they using the, the we and us or are they using the I and me? Oh, Sandy, you know, I'm always blown away when we have conversations just about, you know, how much you provoke uh, the thinking. And I certainly know for me, I've got little electrodes running around in my head going, oh, yeah, what about this, what about that? But we're fast running out of time. So let's look at the fifth and final way that you, you had, which was fueling the heart of your business and staff. Tell us a little more about that. Uh, well, this yes, this links to the idea of, you know, we've got so much to do. We just, as soon as we've done something or achieved a milestone, we tick it off off the list and move on to the next thing and you know celebrate and they think well we haven't got time to celebrate well a celebration can be as as uh, take as little time as five minutes and take no money at all you know you you get the team around in a circle and you go okay we're going to have 30 seconds each saying um how we feel about what we've achieved you know and and off they go you know it's like five minutes but what you're doing is creating in their mind this comes from psychology my psychological or my psychology background you're you're planting a reference structure in their mind it's a reference structures in the brain are like you know we all have filing cabinets in there and so everyone might have a filing cabinet called quote unquote failures or mistakes or, or, or oopsies or mess-ups and another filing cabinet called woohoos achievements and successes and have a look at the size of those two filing cabinets in your brain yep yeah and and we need to make that celebration one bigger um because it really does fuel the heart um it's about encouraging people to carry on when things really get tough and it needs to come from a genuine caring that people cannot see through some some leaders will go around a workplace and say oh look i know it's tough now but i really appreciate appreciate what you're putting in move to the next desk and yep. say the same thing to the next person Very superficial kind of and, yeah. and insincere I, I it reminds me of um a couple of years ago i was in um, las vegas and i did a tour of a very very well-known uh, company known for its customer service called zappos oh yes and they have the most amazing culture and in their um, support teams that take all the uh the customer calls when there's a success uh somebody gets off the phone and they ring a bell or they hoot a horn mm. so each each team has for that week their own tool that they're going to use to celebrate their successes so you know um, uh, and for, for anybody that's listening I've done a white paper on Zappos if you've got some interest in something like that shoot me an email and I'll be happy to send you a copy of, uh, of that report that I, I put together so that reminds me of that and I mean I guess that's um, Oh, it's not really an extreme scenario, but it certainly is one way that an organisation could do that. And it, it, I guess it has more of a fun element attached to it than, um, you know, the process of, you know, a, a manager going around and, and thanking people. It, it just doesn't, it, it doesn't, you know, being told that somebody's grateful for something uh, might work or might be enough for some people, but for a lot of other people, they want something more. And that doesn't necessarily mean something financial. It, or, it just means mm. that to be respected. 
Yeah. And, you know, fun, the, the idea of having fun at work has given, been given a bum rap. Uh, I mean, a lot of, a lot of people go, oh, you know, we're not here to have fun. We're here to do work. Well, why can't you do both? Yeah. It's absolutely, because we're not, we're not sitting about, uh, we're not talking about sitting around telling jokes all day. You know, we're talking about being lighthearted. We're talking about being able to, you know, things happen around the workplace that just bring a smile to someone's face, you know. Um, I believe that uh, for whatever reason, in our business world, managers and, and leaders have become very quick to criticize and slow to praise mm. um, because it, maybe their reticular activation system has been programmed to, oh, look, it's not working. Look, you know, maybe they're getting the heat from whoever they report to saying, you've got to fix this problem and fix that problem. But aside from being, you know, highly demotivating, it actually can create an environment of fear and revenge. Um, you know, everybody's so terrified that they're just going to be told off for doing something wrong. I mean, we've all heard people say, oh, things must be going all right or I must be doing a good job because nobody said anything to me for six months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, because I know I'll be told if, I'm, if I mess it up. Um, and, and so it's about sincerity, absolutely. Authentic, sincere, thank yous. I appreciate what you're doing. Um, maybe, you know, Join in celebrations that other areas of the organization are having. Um, you know, you might even, to get it started, you might need to actually schedule celebrations, you know, once a month. Yep. You know, what what can we celebrate this month? What has gone well this month? But start to really get your whole team's mind focused on what are those things we are doing well. Yep. And and knowing that stuff can help sustain us through the really tough times when we, we are really pushing hard. Well, Sandy, thanks very much for your time today and for your insights. I just want to go back and I'm just going to summarise what the five critical steps to creating a team your colleagues and competitors will envy were. The first one was creating cultures of honest and authentic communication, allowing staff to unload their baggage, that people really do follow the leader, that giving power away makes you more powerful and about fueling the heart of your business and your staff. Sandy, some fantastic insights. If some of our listeners want to get in contact with you following uh, listening to this CD or re-listening to this CD, how's the best way for them to do that? I would love to hear with from anyone who even just wants to chat on the phone for a half hour, no charge or <laughs> com obligation involved about any of these ideas. Best way is via email. So I'm going to give my direct email address. Uh, it's sandy at sandygibbons.com.au and I'll spell that. It's S-A-N-D-I at S-A-N-D-I-G-I-V, as in vivacious, <laughs> ens.com.au. Um, and actually, if you just put in the subject line, Donna Hansen. So I'll see some email from someone that the subject line's you, and I'll know this is how they came to me. And I'd love to hear from anyone who wants to have a chat, they want a debate, they want some ideas, they want a sounding board. That would be wonderful. That's the best way to reach me because, as you know, Donna, I'm on the road a lot and traveling and I always check my email at least a couple of times a day. The phone's really problematic, but email's good. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for your generosity in sharing this information today. And thank you for joining us for this Expert Insights audio CD. For more information on Prime Solutions training and consulting and our services, visit our website, the three W's, 
crimesolutions with an s at the end.net.au. Until next time, this is Donna Hansen of Prime Solutions Training and Consulting, helping you work smarter and not harder with technology. Bye for now.